Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Nima, the CTO and co-founder at Kinetica, and we discuss the risk associated with change in software development, Kinetica's unique approach to making sense of data, and what the next five years look like for artificial intelligence. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. How are you feeling today? Feeling pretty good? Um, I mean, we're very busy and, you know, just uh, a little bit harder now just because, you know, when you're all in the office, I mean, everyone's like, you always got people that are working remote, but you have like, you know, a core nucleus in the office it makes things easier. But um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, you know, working through it, but yeah, we're just pretty busy. Where are you physically located? Um, I'm in DC and like um, our engineering is in DC. Uh, like Arlington, Virginia, so like just south of DC, North Virginia area. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and then you know we got like sales engineers and stuff all over. My sister lives out there in DC. What's that? There's like a noise of like uh, scraping or something. Is that on your end? Yeah, that's my son dragging a chair across the. <laughs> What's your son's name? Hugo. Hey, Hugo. <laughs> So yeah, man, I've got I've got two little ones too, so I, I get it. Uh, that that's the hardest part, honestly, because now you have like the, you know, daycare job also, because I'm you know you have to like figure out the times with your wife and all that stuff. Like that's like a whole new job, so it's tough. So they didn't they didn't stay open the daycares where you are? No, no, yeah, it's all closed. We got lucky. We our daycare stayed open, but. They make uh, as young as two years old. They still have. They have to wear a mask, and all the employees have uh, to wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where Where are you? I'm in Florida. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, that that's huge. I mean, because um, it definitely makes things like uh, just adds another dimension. But yeah. So your your children are used to wearing masks now? No. No. They like. So I have a a three year old and uh, like one and a half one and a half year old. By the way, I always say that. And like, I'm always wrong about their ages. My wife will listen to the podcast. She'd be like, you don't even know our kids ages. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, I have trouble getting my two-year-old to keep her pants on or three-year-old to keep her pants on. Like, but we, we drop her off with the mask strapped and like, that's their, their chore from there. And then like they keep track of it the whole day or you have to give a new mask every day. Oh, it's a new mask every day. All right, no, 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 I'm sorry. It's not a new mask every day. They managed to keep it. Uh, like we bought it actually from, like the rule was it just has to be a barrier. So one of the moms in the group was making them for $5. So we just said, oh, you know, okay. buy, because it's hard to get masks for two-year-olds. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy times right now. I mean, so, so surreal. But you will come out of this rested and stronger after you get them back into the daycare. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely like making the team stronger. I mean, in the sense that, you know, everyone's just learning more about everyone else. Everyone's, you know, being more flexible, having a deep, like a, a maybe a deeper appreciation for everyone else, you know, so. You know, in that sense, yeah, it, it is making us stronger. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's like also doing like a big release. You know, it's really nice to have everyone like in a war room. You know, as you're doing the the release and doing the kind of you know first couple of weeks of 
having the GA out there and like dealing with any issues that may come up, but well, I'm going to have to figure it out this time around. Have you um, had to put off any hobbies and things like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I love like ordering at restaurants. It's like my favorite thing to do, like ordering off menus. So that, you know, that's gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, the work kind of consumes me most of the time. So yeah, I mean like Saturdays is like the one day where we usually we're used to do stuff and you know, that's all gone. So, I mean, it gets sort of crazy sometimes, but I mean, all in all, I'm usually pretty distracted into the work anyway. So right now it just it kind of doesn't matter just cause we're once you, you know how it is like once you start, you can't stop thinking about it. And then like, it kind of just consumes you. It's hard to turn off. Yeah. How's your team dealing with it? Good, good. I think. I mean, I think like you know, it's it's hard for everyone. I mean, I think it stresses everyone out in different degrees. I mean, whether it's like childcare stuff or just like general, you know, anxiety over like this whole thing. You know, it's made it, it makes it tougher. But you know, what can you do? I mean, what have you guys heard? Yes. Yeah, so um, it's not easy anywhere. But uh, <laughs> right, no, every team is impacted. You know, I'd say one of the biggest things is the uncertainty in the marketplace because, right. you know, I mean, like, that's, that's the biggest part. I mean, where, or one of the biggest parts, I mean, like where, you know, two, three months ago, everyone is like, you know, fighting for talent and, you know, wages are, you know, growing like almost like month to month seems like, right. And, you know, now it's like, we're in like this polar opposite world and it's only been like, you know, a month and a half, right. Um, or two months. Right. And like, you know, that, that part is like crazy to me. I mean, I haven't like fully digested that, but I mean, it's like, it's definitely happening like before our eyes. I mean, obviously there's still going to always be a market for top talent, but like the, as tight as it was like in January, I mean, like, it's not that tight anymore. I mean, like it was no. extremely tight. I mean, like, you know, you were dying for folks, right? And like, you know, the competition on wages and, and benefits and all that was like, you know, like arms race. And like, you know, I, I don't know where the big, big guys are mindset wise, but I mean, I've heard things around like, you know, there's not necessarily like cuts, but there's maybe hiring freeze or bonus freeze or like, you know, no, no, no bonuses, no pay increases. Um, so, I mean, like, that's just like 180 from where we were not that long ago. Yeah, I actually study this quite a bit uh, uh, because I'm, I just happen to be into the business side of things and the economy side of things, like uh, amateur into them. Uh, and so personal impacts for me, right? Let's like break it down. Uh, wife got furloughed. So okay. she started, uh, she took her craft of refinishing furniture, started, you know, spending 20 bucks a day on next door running ads and actually just helped her early this morning go pick up a piece of furniture so she's going to refinish it for for like a neighbor um so she's doing that to pull in some cash uh because you know daycare is like twenty two hundred dollars a month it's ridiculous right a ferrari i mean it's like you know if you ever just dreamed like man i would love to have like a fancy car i mean it's daycare i mean daycare somehow you like you know, can't imagine having like a you know fifteen hundred dollar a month car payment but you no. know, somehow you find 2200 for daycare so i mean it's worth yeah, it <laughs> it's definitely worth it trust me i don't have it right now it's worth it but i mean it's it's expensive i mean like uh 
I heard some guys that some politicians say like, you know, you work or you, you put your kids in daycare because you work and then you work because you have daycare. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, you know, uh, it's just like a real, you know, I, I don't know how, like, you know, if you weren't in like, you know, the tech field, we're kind of, I mean, not that we're lucky. I mean, obviously, you know, there's demand, but like, you know, if you didn't have kind of our wage scale, like, I don't know how people afford like that amount of, you know, daycare. I mean, that's like, it's super expensive. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it just is like, yeah. uh, and it's important too, because it actually makes a difference to their progression. We had actually not put ours in daycare for the first year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then we saw the other kids that our friends had that were in daycare and they were learning to speak faster. They were, they were learning everything faster. You know, my kid is in a nanny share, right? So it's like, you know, it's him and another kid and then like a, a, you know, a nanny that like comes in during the day and leaves at night and like, you know, they go to a house. So it's not like a full daycare. You know, I want, like, I wonder, like, is it hurting his development compared to kids that are going to daycare, like a full daycare, you know, where it's like, you know, a real, you know, company that has like curriculums and other kids around, like a lot of other kids around, like, I do wonder about that too. We, so we did, we did what you talked about at first. We had like a nanny share type deal where like a couple days a week, we'd go for a couple hours um, right. to these, like whether like it was a church or something, some public center. And, but it is completely different at the daycare. Cause they give us these reports of like for this half hour block, they worked on fine motor skills where they basically like, you know, um, rolled dough yeah. between their hand and they do it like scientifically. And they give, I get a report every single day of the activities that they did. How did you deal with like basically unemploying that late, like that person that, you know, like that's my problem. It's like, you know, we've grown connected to this person, right? And like- That was tough, yeah. So basically the the way, uh, you know, shout out to Sh- Sandra. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they, what's interesting about them is the people that tend to pick that career are the people that very much care about the kids. Uh, and so that's like a, a bonus because you can, just have an honest conversation and say, "Hey, look, we we see our kid advance. We see other kids advancing faster. We want to get them into a structured program, and we're like really grateful for you know you helping us get this far. Uh, but we're mm-hmm. gonna go ahead and pursue this route. And it's honestly like, and we've we've done that you know twice, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and both times the individual was incredibly receptive. They're like, yeah, because for them and their business." that's like a common thing because they don't stay with the kid until they're 18. They're always going into it knowing they're going to have to say goodbye. That's good advice. I mean, that's like one thing. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, in general, like, you know, it's tough having those type of conversations, whether it's like in your you know, professional life or your you know, personal life. So it's good advice. And cause I definitely have the same feeling. So yeah. Didn't, didn't expect to be talking about, child development but yeah dude it's just we it just goes where it goes so and in the economic uh part of the conversation wife got furloughed yeah uh, and so she did the the cabinet thing and then uh, i had to furlough half my staff because numbers are numbers and like it sucks it's the worst feeling in the world as a founder to have to do that but like you can't you can't wish or hope or you can't there's nothing you can do to like make the numbers different than what they are if the economy you know freezes up it freezes up you know like yeah you have to like have a i mean you have to like make sure that there's a company 
or that there is a company to to you know have these people come have folks come back to i mean like that that's it's just i mean and the way it is with like i mean the level of free fall is like so crazy right like when you have like you know you've got like five million six million claims every week week after week I mean, it's just like, and, I, and I'm sure it's more because like people can't even get in to make the claim. So it's like, you know, maybe we're at 35, maybe we're at 40, who knows? Like in, in the span of like a month and a half, like, or two months, like that's, that's never happened before. I mean, even the Great Depression wasn't this fast, right? Like, no. And like, we, you know, we were first, both live in 08, right? Yeah, oh, oh, it was, I thought 08 was like the worst thing we were ever going to see. And I would like, you know, Word as a badge of honor, like, you know, I grew up through 08 and like, you know, I know what like shitty, you know, shitty situation is and like, this just destroys 08. I mean, this is like, like, you know, you know, it took like a year and a half for uh, like uh, the unemployment claims to raise to like 15 million through the 08, 09 crisis. We did that in like three weeks, mm -hmm. right? Now we're past it, right? We're like a 20 or whatever it is. 26.5 and then yeah, yeah that's like last week yeah. yeah and who knows what it'll be this week i mean and and it's definitely higher because like you know you know i i've every person i've talked to about this just not even like watching the news but people that it's happened to like yeah you can't you can't call it doesn't you can't file you can't call like i don't know how i don't know how people are getting through it all so like you know i mean that's another crazy thing it's like they don't have like basic scaling you know, engineered like you know. I know auto scaling servers for unemployment stuff. Like, how is that not set up? Yeah, I mean, just like these are basic stateless app app servers. Just like put it in like Beanstalk or something super simple, and like you know, I don't understand how they're still having these problems in in you know the year twenty twenty. So like every state has this problem. It's like so like every state was just running like on a single node, like you know, just kind of like antiquated. You know, just I mean, even the SBA website, like when, you know, they they did this recent program went down, and it's like, you know, you, you could definitely in a, a week or two put together a scalable platform for a you know a, a relatively stateless, you know, app, which that is, you know, that that's a good topic to bring up because I happen to have previously made technology for government officials, and so I communicated with some of my connections and I said, what's going on? Cause I live in Florida. My wife hasn't gotten her unemployment yet. And we haven't gotten like the federal tax. We've, like, we've gotten not a dollar, huh? Was she able to file? Like was she able to get to the site and actually file? No, so to file, it took her three days of trying like all <laughs> day. Crazy. And I, and I was, I was like trying to understand it because I'm saying, okay, let's say that they had an inefficient system, right? And they had it, you know, running on a server, like, there's 21 million residents in Florida, right? And let's say half of them are in the job market because not everybody is a job. You have kids and you have adult, you know. 10 million sessions you need to scale for, you know, across like three, four weeks, let's say. I mean, that's not that much given your no. budget. And they, and and they said, get this, they put a tweet out that, that said uh, after the first two weeks and everyone freaking out, they said, we added 72 servers. And I'm thinking like, what the hell like 72 servers and like what type it's a form like take the, make like a you know flat file site right that's just like serving up static you know send the payload to you know a super you know scalable low you know 
you know, low energy, you know, capture, put it in a Kafka queue and just keep capturing them and then process the requests. Like that's it, done. Like, you know, it must, you know what, it's like all, it's like probably like all those super heavyweight old school, like web app frameworks, like, you know, built on like J2EE and like, you know, struts and like all that, like, you know, legacy style stuff where like, you know, all the, the logic, the control flow, all that is like, you know, in the app, you know, in the Tomcat or in the, you know, you know, Glassfish or, you know, Jetty or, you know, pick your, J, you know, your Java app container of choice. I mean, it must be like, cause like this isn't hard. And like, you know, if you like most frameworks right now are so lightweight, I mean, 72 servers should be more than enough. I know. Well, have you ever, have you ever dealt with the government ecosystem for tech developing technology? Federal. Yeah. Not state. I mean, yeah. so we do stuff for like, you know, it, it, DOD and stuff and, and there, yeah, we do, but yeah, not for, not, we haven't, we don't have a state customer. Yeah. It's, it's just difficult. Uh, they, they have different requirements and, and then also I find that the ecosystem, right. You get these older companies that have been building the system since they bought their first system and they're just old. They're just, and it's not broken and they don't like, you know, one thing that's like a universal truth in software development is like change equals risk, right? Like, you know, if you change something, you are introducing risk, right? And like, no matter how beautiful of an algorithm or a data structure, or whatever it is, like, you know, you're going to, if you have something that's very hardened and you're introducing this change, it's going to, it's going to bring in a whole new, you know, vector of risk. So, you know, that's what it is for them too. It's like, well, this thing works, right? You know, we're happy. We're getting our, you know, O and M, you know, stipend every year from from the state. Like, we'll we'll add some basic things here or there, like over the course of the decade. But we're not going to really touch it. You know, there's, there's no economic incentive for them to do so. Yeah, there's no incentive. I mean, like, you know, the you know the, the customer is jet is happy because like you know it, it works. Like they can rely on it you know, you're happy because you don't have to put in any effort in and, you know, you just keep collecting your, your, you know, your management check or whatever, you know, I don't know what each state has as far as like these individual uh, situations, but yeah, I mean, that's what happens in software development all the time. It's like, you know, you have something that isn't great anymore, but you know, it works. And so you kind of just leave it because you don't want to risk it. And then, you know, you, that's, I mean, that's always a hard part. It's like, you know, when do you, you know, make that decision to like you know whether it's paying down technical debt or like you know from a go-to-market perspective introducing you know a necessary feature when you have a user base that's like you know very you know uh, happy with the features that you have and also really you know um optimizes for stability and you know really takes that like stability resilience you know which is always such a huge issue especially like you know in like enterprise you know infrastructure uh, development um, you know, folks are like laser focused on that all the time, which, which they should be. So, uh, you know, it, it becomes a, a dip, you know, an interesting formula and it's like, you know, something that I've gotten better at now. I mean, it was much more like, you know, trying to get things out much faster back in the day. I mean, but, you know, I've learned, learned, I had, you know, the seven hour release I did was like a very, very big release and you know, almost every part of the stack changed and, you know, introduced a lot of, a lot of new capability ultimately was a really good release, but yeah, like, you know, it was a lot of change and, you know, it was a, it was a tough initial release. Eventually, you know, we smoothed everything out and it was, you know, really a, a good game changer for the, for the company, but 
you know, I, you know, I kind of learned my, my lesson there and kind of trying to go more towards just like rolling releases, you know, very methodical, you know, no big releases um, and just like, you know, really beefed up QA and stuff like that. But, you know, that it kind of comes with it. But I mean, you always have to, on the flip side of the coin is you have to be thinking about like, how can I bring in that like next game changing feature that is going to keep us ahead of the pack? Because I mean, especially in my space, like so much of it is like race to the bottom, right? Like, you know, who does it the cheapest, who does it the, the, the fastest, you know, who does it the easiest, right? Like it, it's, and everyone claims like we're the best, we're the fastest, we're the most resilient, you know, we're the, you know, we're the easiest, like everyone claims that. So everyone's claiming that. And so like, at the end of the day, it comes down to like your true unique capabilities that will differentiate you, especially when you're smaller, like like us compared to like a snowflake or something. You know, you have to have that and you can't let that go either because like, you know, those guys are always improving, right? They have like limitless budgets and, you know, so you, it's like two sides of the coin, right? So, um, you know, that, that's one of the, you know, interesting parts. Of give, me, give, me some con give me some context. What's like what's the the main line of business for you guys so um like from a business vertical perspective fed is really big um telco is really big and um you know third would be like retail finance right um and then if you kind of look at the technical kind of horizontal capability it's streaming olap so when i say streaming olap i mean like you know, let's say you have a, a Snowflake schema, you know, I don't mean Snowflake the database, I mean Snowflake the database kind of uh, ER diagram style, uh, you know, relational model. And um, you have, you have, you know, pretty big dimension tables, like 100 million to a billion size dimension tables. And then you've got huge fact tables, like, you know, 10 billion, 10 to 100, 10 to 500 billion fact size fact table or more. And then you've got billions of transactions coming in, you know, every couple of minutes. And, you know, you want to um, basically query, you know, a rich OLAP, OLAP query, you know, so like, not like, hey, tell me like the average of the last five minutes, but like, like a, like a true proper OLAP query where you might be doing a couple left joins and then, you know, uh, an aggregate and, you know, you want that to be representative of, you know, the data up to the second, not like a batch window where you did the ingest last night um, or, you know, from like an hour ago. And so um, that's really where we excel. And the other, you know, key place where we excel is in location. So location analytics and then location visualization. So like, like location processing in general, especially when it's very complex location processing, doesn't lend itself really well to kind of, um, you know, the kind of classic data structure approaches that most databases use, right? And even like, you know, things like R trees and stuff, eventually when the shapes and stuff are complex enough, it all breaks down and you really need to have uh, a new, new type of like actual filtering kernel and, and processing kernel that is actually just able to do the scans faster, right? And so that like, that's what we had built, you know, first for the GPU and then for like, you know, AVX 512. Um, and, and that's really what is one of the things that sets us apart because we can do the, the geospatial processing, like the location processing, you know, much faster at a bigger scale and using like, you know, we have all the whole ST geometry kind of set of functions and then the visualization side. So we have a, like these shapes, like they'll have like telcos will have like, you know, 
their 3G network definition or 5G network definition, and you know you'll have a single shape that has like 50,000 vertices. So like, uh, and they want to see a lot of those shapes going to their browser. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to load a you know huge shape in your browser. Your laptop fan is going to start to like spin up, um, and you know your whole thing really your whole your whole client session like grinds to halt. So what we do is like uh, we have an OpenGL accelerated distributed pipe, and so um, we're constantly um, populating this GL buffer, and so when the query comes in, you can say, okay, now render that result, right, at, at either through WMS or through our APIs, and we'll just send you back like a PNG. So like, um, long story, okay. like that that set of capabilities where like you know you can do that kind of processing and stream in data at the same time for location things like uh, is pretty huge. Can I, can I jump in? I, I want to, cause you got, you got a lot of stuff and uh, all right. So, so what it, that part, I'm sure you do more than that, but that part seemed pretty interesting. There's so many points in a browser for this, vi these visualizations. Like if I was a teleco and I wanted to pull up, see how I'm pro providing all this service to everyone. Okay. Um, I would have like billions of points. And so you would act as like a processor over there. We would, you would create that PNG. So it would be, like me offloading, it's like a very specific process that you're optimizing, right over there. Yeah. And then, and then I want to talk real quick about uh, OLAP because whenever I hear the acronyms, I, I quickly Google them, and I was like, oh, okay. So, uh, can you give me like the the OLAP uh, if I were a three year old explanation? OLAP, if you're a three year old explanation, is um, basically answering questions that you know require reading like you know multiple pages of a, of a book rather than um or here, here's here's a better example is answering uh questions that require you to read multiple lines of a book rather than answering a question that requires you to just look at one line in the book okay so like like extremely complicated stacked queries <clears throat> yes right so like not like a simple filter. Um, I was gonna show you like some of this this demo we did for uh, COVID for like contact tracing. So like we started out of the Intel space. So this the, the other kind of unique feature we have is this data modeling idiom called a track. So like you, you know a track is a GUID, an XY, and a timestamp, and then a map of uh, attribute keys that you want. And so. The unique thing about that is, is that at every step of your track, you can have a unique set of values so that you know you can filter on those unique attributes and then you can pull back the whole track. Where like traditional geospatial is like, you know, you're gonna present that track as a like a WKT line, and then you know, you can't have metadata attribution at every point in that line. Right on the flip side, the other approach is like have a table of X's and Y's and have your attributes, right? But then when you go to query, right, like if, if someone draws a circle in the middle of the track but not on the point, you don't get you don't get a match, right? But with our tracks, like we will do the line interpolation so you can, you know, you can draw a circle in the middle of two points and we will actually pull back a track for the whole track for you. So like, you know, when we started for like ISR. Like, you know, like entity tracking, asset tracking, like you could say, like, I know weird stuff is happening, like on this corner. And then, you know, you draw, you know, your, your, your bounding box on that corner. 
and we'll pull back, you know, every entity that's walked or entity car or, you know, any, any tracked entity that, that, you know, has been given to us, you know, pull that back for them and visualize it. And uh, yeah, I mean, like the, the whole location space, I think is kind of always been like a second class citizen in, in data processing. And I think that's starting to change. And I think it's being, you know, accelerated uh, a little bit by um, this whole disaster and like, you know, the, the need for contact tracing and all that, you know, we've had that for, you know, a long time because it just falls into our track capability. But, um, you know, location to me, I think is, I'm hoping is, you know, going to really be uh, gaining more prominence in like the, you know, in, in the, you know, the data processing needs of, of enterprise, you know, like, and not just for telcos and automakers, but for like, you know, a much broader swath of companies. Yeah, we're gonna get the word out there. How does that fit into the the concept of active analytics? So, I mean, active analytics is all around like you know doing these type of analytics while data is coming in, and then like you know, <clears throat> you got your disciplines right. You got your classical app, but then location is part of it because it's it's compute intensive and it you know uh, unlocks a whole lot of correlative insight that um, traditionally has been um, you know, for, forced uh, or traditionally has been kind of like siloed where developers can't unlock that converged effect. Like when I think about active analytics, like ultimately my goal is for this case where like you have large data sets where data is constantly streaming in, we put together like the right compute processing disciplines in a single platform for you to, you know, enable you to quickly and easily do, you know, do uh, complex queries, complex analytics. So you can focus on your application, right? And you can be more productive and you can be more creative. Um, and like those disciplines are like OLAP, location and ML. That seems pretty cool. And so if I'm a, if I'm a like, let's say I'm a CTO at a company, let's say like a, maybe I've got you know, a thousand plus engineers on my team uh, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm kind of high level, but I think, you know, oh, we do a lot of location stuff or we do a lot of this high bandwidth data with lots of points. Uh -huh. Who on my team, like, where would I go to talk to someone who understands this part of the, the deal? Um, so, I mean, it, it depends, right? So, like, traditionally, you know, as it relates to, like, understanding the data problem, like, you have, like, the line of business person, right? So, like, you know, you have the person that is like, let's say the network analyst, like he's the network, uh, he's the head of network analysis for a telco, right? So like, that's your, like your line of business buyer, right? And, you know, he's the one that understands the problem because he's, he's has the pain point all, all day, every day, right? Um, and, you know, then you've got your, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, uh, not so much a CTO, but sometimes CTO, CIO, right? And they're like, you know, you know, part of their, responsibility is like you know uh, basically all infrastructure right and you know all infrastructure purchasing all infrastructure administration policy blah 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 right uh, he's trying to he's trying to you know a reduce costs but also give his enterprise all the tools and capabilities it needs uh, to make sure like the business runs you know as efficiently and uh, as creatively as possible so you know uh, traditionally what we've done right now is like you know, we go to the line of business guy who's having the pain point or he comes to us and like, you know, we have a POC and, you know, he's 
really happy. And then basically it goes from line of business buyer um, who may or may not have budget, right? Sometimes he does. Um, but inevitably, as you mature in these organizations, you go under the infrastructure group, right? Like, you know, so like you may start out under like the line of business budget, uh, you know, as, you know, a, uh, you know, an, an app line item, but eventually you're they're, they don't want to carry your, your, you know, they don't want to carry you under your budget, under their budget for long because your infrastructure. So they want to move you under that group. So um, it's like different personas, right? Like, cause like, you know, those guys, you know, they don't, they're aware of pain points, but like, you know, they're not under a deadline for a pain point. Usually like where the line of business guys, like I need to get this done by Q1. Right. Um, so like the infrastructure guys have a whole new set of things that they're looking for. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, we're always, you know, working on is like trying to get better at that where, you know, we hit all the check boxes and, um, you know, as we, you know, get more, you know, out there, you know, it should get easier, but, you know, like it's always, especially if you're a database, there's always, you know, if, you, if it's the first time that that company's seeing Kinetica, it's like, you know, it, there is a, not pushback, but it, you know, there's some friction where like, you know, you have to get people to trust on the infrastructure side, you have to get them to trust you, right. You have to get them to like, you know, buy into learning a new, you know, solution that might be spanning multiple data centers. Right. So like getting them comfortable. Cause I mean, there's a multiple fear factors. Like one is like, okay, this is a multi-center, multi-data center distributed database. Like, um, and you know, one of the things that, we're playing catch up on is like just getting, you know, all the ease of use really, really nice. And, um, and we made a lot of progress there, but like, you know, that, that is something where like, okay, if I've never used your product before and it's responsible for this like mission critical thing, you know, I might have some reluctance where like, you know, maybe I'm really comfortable with, uh, you know, Cassandra or, you know, some other cloud database or, or whatever it might be. Right. And so there's that part. And then there's also just like, the check boxes, like, you know, do you have this type of resiliency? You know, do you have this type of security or backup policy capability, which again, we've, we've made a lot of progress, but you know, we're still, it's almost, it's almost never ending, but it's not, but you know, we're kind of getting, you know, further along there, but you know, that's your kind of like two major personas you're always grappling with, um, you know, when you're trying to sell into these places. So what do you think the future looks like for, like the future for artificial intelligence and we can get crazy here. We don't have to <laughs> be on script. Like what does the future look like? In the short term? Yeah. Like in the next five years. Um, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, basically, you know, a lot of the boring stuff, right. I think like, you know, making, making like, so number one is like the data science tool chain, like so far has been focused just like all on, training and training frameworks and um, you know I, both us and other people are now starting to you know develop tool chain for for teams to you know you've got your model you want to put it into production right um, and making um, like what I call inference fabrics right um, because you know data science like up until maybe a year or two ago for the for, for not the like leaders like Facebook's and, and Uber's but like you know the other, you know, the rest of the global 500, you know, um, or 2000, their, their teams like may have really interesting models, but they're not always like, you know, uh, running them operationally. They might be using them for like static reporting. They may be using them for, 
um, like, you know, ad hoc analysis, um, but they're not like running as, a, you know, a fabric of models that are like constantly decisioning and feeding, you know, the rest of the decisioning stack of the enterprise, right? Like, you know, you, your leaders are doing that, like your Walmarts, your Ubers, your Facebooks, whatever, your Googles. But like everyone else is still like kind of now getting to that point where like, yeah, we trust these models. Like, you know, we've got and we've got a bevy of them. Like, how do we put this into production easier? Like that that's going to be a major thing. And that's something we're focusing on and that's something others are focusing on. But then on, on the actual, you know, model innovation side, you know, it's, it's I mean, like it's interesting, like, you know, there's. Like, you know, in the past two years, like, you know, you know, BERT on like the, you know, uh, text analytics side or, you know, NLP side has been in this huge explosion. Right. Um, and, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more of those kind of like, let's call them tiny innovations. And like, I think, you know, the, the, the real hurdle, I mean, like right now, if you, if I'm, if I'm someone that wants to get into data science, right, there's so many great tools out there that are either free or low cost, like the number one hurdle is data, like labeled data, right? So, I mean, I think you're gonna see uh, a lot of uh, innovation unsupervised learning because they're like the labeled data problem is a massive problem, right? And like, um, you know, just by the, the necessity, there's gonna have to be innovations in unsupervised learning because people don't have the labeled data. And like, and like ironically, the, the whole, you know, ML AI space really like tilts advantage to like the big, like the big enterprises because they have the data, right? They have the labeled data. They have the, the events that they can use to, to train, train models. So like, I think by necessity, like people are going to be innovating more and more in the unsupervised space. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think like, it, you know, that's like the, the next, you know, one to five years. I mean, like, in general, like AI still has the kind of like the closed loop problem, right? Like, you know, we don't have a good framework for like tying decisioning together between, you know, random models. Like, you know, that is, and part of that's because of the data and, and part of that's just because, you know, you know, where we at, where we're at and kind of like the, the breadth of models people have access to. So, you know, I think after, you know, five to 10 years, you know, in the, in the longer term range, you're, you're going to see, uh, a lot of that uh, coming online where people are generating frameworks for like, you know, true dynamic, you know, problem solving that are, that's not like in a closed loop kind of input output style, but, you know, doing really linked problem solving that dynamically create model, you know, ensembles um, on the fly. I'm not saying that's now, but that's going to be maybe like in the five to 10 year range, because that'll be, you know, uh, the next great frontier. I mean, like, even if you look at like, you know, automated driving, right? Like it's still, it's, it's one of the biggest, it's one of the hardest closed loop, but it's still a closed loop. Like, you know, you have, you still have, you know, your finite inputs and finite, you know, states that you're, you're really trying to, you know, train for, you're trying to model for. Um, and, you know, you, when something doesn't fall into that, like, you know, you see there's like huge ramifications. So like, you know, we need to get past that. That'll be the next like very big hurdle is like not not doing like one-off examples of it, but like really creating a framework that people can can leverage that can you know dynamically do this. Um, but you know that's it's going to take some doing, and it's going to take some more type of uh, 
you know, uh, unsupervised capabilities that I don't think we have yet. Do you think that, like the way you described it, leads me leads me to feel like these, you know, top two thousand, the exception of a few, that they're getting comfortable with the technology first inside of like the reporting and the ad hoc and the non-customer totally. facing things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you know, I think like if you said twenty years ago, like you know, a model is gonna like automatically make decisions that your enterprise is going to conduct automatically without any human in the loop would have been like unthinkable. Right. Um, and you know, now, now it's, it's very commonplace. And, you know, I think that whole trust has been building up and the understanding of, you know, what these things actually are has been building up. And so like, you know, we're at a, you know, we're actually a little bit past that kind of inflection point where it's like, yeah, everyone's kind of like, we get it. Like, you know, and, you know, it's fairly accessible. Like, all right, now let's, let's have a way of like getting this into production reliably, you know? Um, you know, it's in, what's interesting for humans, like I have found that it's, e I'm gonna connect humans and AI here. Right. So I've found that it's easier for me to make a decision based off of inputs and experiences than it is to me, for me to communicate why I made that decision. Like it yeah. generally takes me significantly more processing power to articulate. Think about how people learn and just think about your brain. I mean, it's just, it's not that different than like a, you know, very, 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 very layered set of, you know, uh, models, right? You know, neural nets. I mean, it's just it, like the way, you know, you see people, like even with, you know, you have kids, so you see the way they learn, like it's, it's almost just like a model, right? Like they yeah. get try, they get feedback. Right. You know, they take they they and you are your you are their labeled data set. Like, you know, that like that's the truth. Like, you know, and, and like, you know, everything that that the parent does, they see that as like, okay, that's the thing to do. And like, you know, that's that's their labeled data set that they're training off of, right? So like, um, you know, it, it's it's not all that different, but like like, you know, it's just way it's you know, a couple orders of magnitude more advanced but like yeah like like what you said you know with ai and humans you know that part is is definitely common right it's just like uh how we can do that explain part um or how we like you know can we can correlate things that seemingly have no uh, value in this you know in a decision that you're being faced with like uh, but you're able to take a, a prior experience in something completely unrelated and somehow use that as some fragment of input for your new decision. That's the part where like AI doesn't have anything right now. Right. And like, that's where that's the five to 10 year, you know, like that's going to be the big problem. Yeah. Like I internally, I have this word before I like, I doesn't necessarily make sense semantically, but I call it like re relational analogies because yeah, yeah. for, for me, like I can take something I've learned over here, like maybe while hiking or hunting right, or something, anything. and right. I can apply it over here uh, if the principles are solid enough. And it's really interesting. That's almost like I have a model of knowledge on a topic over here, and I'm noticing a pattern in that model of knowledge that can be applied where I have a gap over here in a new model that I'm learning. Right, and you're and you you're making those linkages on the fly too, right? So it's not like someone's gave you like, you know, a, a graph that says, okay, you, you know, at, <laughs> right. at any time, if you have in learning on this topic and you're in a situation about this topic, like you can link these two together. Right. So like, you know, somehow, you know, to link to, 
to do that, right? I think um, we have like a like an observe like if we were to carry that train of thought, it would be like an there's an observational model watching new models be created, and also have like an index of all existing models, and that observational plus, model. Yeah, 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 and I mean like plus there's all sorts of inputs, like hidden features that that you're using that you know, you're, that are like extremely correlative, no matter the situation, like your heart rate, right? Like, just think about that. Like, you know, when your heart rate's up, doesn't matter what the situation is, like you are gonna have this, uh, a common set of behaviors, right? And decision, you know, decision trees. Um, and so like, yeah, I mean, it's similar, but it's just like, you know, like you can draw, I can, you can see all the parallels. It's just like, we're just way ahead from, you know, kind of like the, the current, mo you know, modern AI uh, tool chain. But, in 10 years, it might be a very different story. It's interesting now that I'm thinking about this, just random pot, uh, thoughts popping into my head, you know, especially when watching the kids, um, you know, you, you can tell they have the, like the intellect, right? The, the like, let's call that like a straight machine, right? Mm -hmm. No emotion attached, but then you have this emotional and survival components that are also streaming and everything has to happen. They're all like simultaneously streaming because you can know something logically and be illogical due to impacts by current behavior. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Hashtag like, sugar rush. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and training and inferencing and, and, you know, getting labels on those inferences, like it's all happening for them at the same time. And, and it's recurrent, you know, feeding back in at the same time. I mean, like the, that part of it is also really crazy where like, you know, that's like another challenge is like you know our our brain has the ability to like you know do inferencing training and accept labels you know on on things all at the same time right and like uh you know update you know all of the layers in in, in this you know in our, in our head instantly right like that's crazy like you know there there aren't you know accessible you know you know, modeling frameworks out there right now that can do anything near that, especially in like an un totally unsupervised way. Um, and that's why I think like, you know, there will have to be like an explosion of innovation in the unsupervised space. And I, th and I think, you know, so historically I was, I was studying uh, Ray Dalio, who's written this book yeah, called yeah, Parts of, yeah, yeah. awesome mm -hmm. popular macro investor. And yeah, I've actually, I went, so, uh, weird story but i i, I w once went to uh bridgewater and like i have the principles like oh, they cool. give it out they give it out um and uh th that place is, is a is a place man i mean like uh they have so they ha like when you have a meeting there like um they'll they make you they teach you their lingo so like they have like slang and like they teach you like we're gonna say this that means this like like you know they have a, and they have a wikipedia of it and so like you know you 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 get briefed on that and then you go into the meeting and then there's like just some you know like at the end of the meeting like um they'll they'll talk they'll review everyone they'll review how everyone did in the meeting right it, it's like you know it's 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 pretty crazy i mean like I, i've never seen it before and i've never seen it after i mean it works for them i mean they're obviously insanely successful and and you know ray Dalio is a you know you could say he's a genius so like you know you know so and these are all his you know from his you know his principles so i mean it's it's definitely really interesting and like they're they just have a lot of like really unique things about their organization 
Um, but I mean, it works for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I digress. Yeah, he's, he's, a, I watched his video uh, that he just did. He's doing a round of interviews on the economic impact of coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, and he brought like a really, like, he's, he's such a calm guy. He, he brought such a, a, he delivered scary news in a pragmatic, intelligent way. And just the way he discussed it is like, there's these two debt cycles. There's a long-term and short-term and long-term 75 years, short-term is like 10 to 15. And we happen to be on the end of a 75 and a 10 to 15. So we're like at like the worst point in like, you know, the past hundred years. And the positive that came out of that is he's like, you know, the core services will continue to do well, right? Like core things that we absolutely have to need. But then this will stir up and create pressure and create a ridiculous amount of innovation that'll come out of it. And I love that. I mean, I hope so. I mean, like, you know, definitely like things are falling. I mean, 0809 was good in the sense that people will realize like all the connectedness of the economy and like, you know, the Fed this time around has made it like everything available from the get go. So like, you know, you know, banks and, and uh, you know, REITs and all, all of these, you know, entities should be having access to a lot of capital. But I mean, the amount of different things that are falling apart right now, like, you know, it, it, it's pretty baffling, right? Like, you know, whether it's like food chain, food supply chain, or like, you know, uh, in the banking sector, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm wondering, like, how long we can just kind of keep things floating like this, right? You know, if it keeps, cause like, you know, until there's a, va a vaccine, like, is it not gonna be back to normal, right? Like, uh, it's like, I mean, people will try to open up, but like, you know, you know, it won't be quite the same. I mean, I don't think people will be like embracing things quite the same until like there's a vaccine and like you can know like, okay, there's no risk, right? Like, well, let's take a human behavior. Let's take like a behavior view of it. So I've, I've tried to get like, I consume the media a short period of time that I try to like go digest and come up with a, a fresher model that I believe better. And I try to look at both ends of the spectrum. Like what's the extreme conservative and like the far view, like what's like the worst thing that could happen and what's the best thing that could happen. I try to, usually the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And what I've done in, in those exercises is I found out that um, the, 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 the worst thing in the world is like complete, shut down of everything right like right. forever and nobody ever goes back uh to the way it was and the best thing is that we flip a switch and it goes back so it's going right. to probably be somewhere in the it's middle a, yeah and like i think there'll be like you know stops and starts where like you know it there might be like you know localized you know surges or something but yeah i mean but it, it it's it's going to take a you know when this first started happening i was like oh it'll be done by june but like now now that i've been thinking about it more i'm like no three years dalio said three years is that what he said yeah he said three years for it to get back to like normal the, the whatever you call normal i mean i think I'll, there'll be people wearing masks forever i think they'll just but here's a here's an interesting thing here's an opportunity or or a you know, we're getting older. I don't know. Are you in your thirties? You're on your thirties, forties. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm in late thirties. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in my thirties and, and I, and when I look at the way our supply chains are set up and just, you know, it's a natural evolution. It happened, whatever, but it makes no sense. We need decentralized supply chains, like 100%. Like it's the best way to do our pretty much everything you need these, well, these communities the to be the same argument with like blockchain, right? Where yeah. like, you know, it's better that it's decentralized, but like when you create 
you know, fixed path sequence systems, you can make them highly efficient. Now they're not as resilient, right? But they're like, they become highly efficient, right? So like, that's like, you know, it's it, like with, with blockchain, like you could, you can consider blockchain almost like, a, you know, a bad database, but like it's, it's got other properties to it. But like when you want performance and efficiency, you know, you make these like, you know, very, you know, uh, not fragile, but fixed paths kind of sequenced, you know, um, relayed systems like that, that, but it, you know, I agree with you. I mean, like globalization in general, I think that whole thing is going to change after this or, or at least, you know, mutate significantly where, you know, people are going to, every country is going to think twice around like, you know, Hey, you know, we don't have the ability to make these active ingredients for like all these prescriptions or, you know, we don't have the ability to make, you know, X, Y, Z device, right. Ourselves, right. Like, that that's you know i don't think it's going to cut it anymore right no i mean the fact that like you know this like you said you have to choose like you can't just blanket and and just say oh it all has to be this way you would definitely right. want to choose like you would want like your most needed medications to be able to be manufactured locally right yeah. uh you know at least even if you at least regionally right you yeah know? regionally you know and we like there's some things like that just we can't do like we don't have any factory that can do it like that like kind of sad i guess but i mean like it's just crazy i mean and you know the reason for it is just like you know we've been optimizing for capital efficiency uh this entire time you know the past whatever you know the whole basically the whole post-world period you know world war ii period so like you know we were at the you know, we're pretty far along in that and now this has come along and like, you know, I think people are going to optimize for not just efficiency, but like, you know, resiliency and, you know. I think we're primed for it. You want, there's, there's never been more entrepreneurs than there are now. You know, oh, totally. I mean, I mean, the, the thing though is like, you know, I wonder how, like, what is going to be the, like, if I'm a, let's say I need to, we need to make like XYZ active ingredient factory, like, what's good like after this is done what's going to be the economic impetus like or will it have to be like government mandated or something like you know because like at the end of the day when this is over like still it will be cheaper to manufacture it somewhere else right so like you know how how would we like you know incentivize or what why would that entrepreneur you know decide to make it in america you would you would have to block you would have to tax it you would have to tax it coming in from an, like and this is me having virtually zero knowledge of this, but I've like, as far as professionally, but I've thought about it a lot. And as long as I can go over there and get it cheaper, it, there's a decentification, like it won't come back home because the customers aren't going to pay more. So you would have to make it so expensive to purchase it. There would be a painful period where everybody would be like, oh, it's skyrocketing in price. And then entrepreneurs would come in see that as an opportunity because you can't you would have to get investment capital you'd say look it cost me a hundred dollars to buy this right from over there yeah. but uh, we the cost to make it are four dollars and we could charge 50 and now we can be incredibly profitable and then the money will flow and that goes like the whole post-world war ii period has been like you know ultimately like defined by like you know adam like the you know adam smith is not new like but the you know this whole in like you do what you do best and if you don't do something best let someone else do that and you will benefit from that by like you know taking all your resources and doing what you do best 
and buying what they do best from them, right? So like that, you know, and I don't, and I, to your point, like, you know, like anytime someone said that, you know, some other person says, oh, well, what about, you know, what about invisible hand and, you know, you know, that, that whole theory that has, you know, proven itself generally right but it that that is like too like one dimensional and simplistic to me invisible hand because like there are other events vectors in in you know other dimensions beyond just like hey like let's maximize for like capital right now right or, or capital efficiency right now right so yeah i think people are going to have a much more like nuanced approach to like globalization and and how we you know go go after it i mean because i mean this is like i think a pretty big pretty big wake-up call for folks i mean like the fact that like we don't can't get masks like you know people are like having to source it from all these other countries it's like a, that's pretty strange i mean it's, it's like an overweight guy who has a heart attack and then gets his like two things will happen you'll either go back to eating chili fries or he will get a gym membership and a trainer and be one of the people that is a success story. I think this is an important time for our humanity. I, and I don't, and I think it's across the entire globe. I think all the humans and all of their respective countries should design systems that are more resilient. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's definitely going to change. It's changed the world. I mean, I, I don't know what those exact, you know, changes are yet, but like, I, it's definitely going to be something that like we're going to look back on and say, yeah, that changed that whole way we look at this or, you know, some people say like, Oh, well, it's all going to kind of, you know, maybe make us a little bit nicer, which would be great, but I don't know if that's going to happen <laughs> from, from this once it's all settled. But yeah, I mean, it's just unknown. Like it's just such a, you know, it hasn't happened in like a century and like that world was way different than this world. So, you know, who knows like that's the thing but you know uh i think like three years that sounds you know like a, a very smart estimate where like you know we'll be past this but yeah the the the, the effects you know i think it'll take more than three years to like say this is this is how the world change after this right it might take five five ten years yeah i think we're still in the in the spot of like if you were to put this into an injury like we got you know i'll take it to my personal injury when i was a kid it's like i got hit by a car i was taken by the ambulance to the hospital right they came in they did a quick evaluation of me uh you know essentially like triage type deal and then they did some you know minor surgery type deals and then i laid there for, it seems like forever and it was painful and then eventually like a couple days later the doctor is going to come in and talk to you about what life is going to look like moving forward. And, and then start to, to get you into a mindset of, you know, how do we avoid this again? We're not, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still like in the trauma unit. And I'm just talking about like the, the mental state of people because the converse, the narrative has to change. Once the narrative changes in the news, uh, to like, what can we do now to, to fix it? And I think, I think it's actually a good timing that there's an election happening simply yeah. because like, those would be great talking points, right? Like, how are we going to, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to make sure that when this happens again, or when we, it gets to this point again, we have a more resilient system. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I think like definitely the whole thing was like, you know, this is never going to happen. Like, you know, 
it's it's not something we need to be worried about but then it happened right so like you know we have to be cognizant i mean and like as far as like where we are i mean yeah if you think about like what was like the what was the day when tom hanks said he had it and like the nba turned off and all that like was that the 11th of march or the 15th of march right it's only yeah. it's only a month month and a half ago it feels like 10 years ago but like you know it's only been a month and a half really when this has like gone you know you know exponential so like yeah i mean it's still early like it's still very early in, in what what you know what this is um but yeah, I mean, that's only a month and a half ago, right? Like that seems so long ago now. I know it's cause like the, the time seems to be passing. I, I'm having trouble differentiating between weekends and weekdays because there's, there's no office commutes <laughs> and, but human behavior though, that's a tough thing to change, right? Like that, like it, it's easy if you say everybody go home because we're mandating it and you get this fear, but the, it doesn't work the same way in reverse like to get everyone to go back out like it's just going to take a lot longer to boot it up than it was to shut it down so yeah and then you got folks who like maybe they're not at risk but like have like i have some folks on my team that you know they're not at risk but like they have a spouse that's at risk so like you know yeah you know they're worried like okay well what if i get it like you know maybe i'll probably be okay but like you know my husband won't my husband or wife won't be you know and then you know, what if I don't know that I have it, you know, like, you know, so, you know, that that's going to be around that kind of thinking is going to be around for, for a while, right? So like, you know, how that affects people going into the office once they're allowed to, you know, I think it's going to take a, take a while to get comfortable. It is pretty amazing, though, as far as what we've been able to do in a short period of time with health and distribution of like as much as crap as we give the government, like realistically, you and me as entrepreneurs, it's pretty cool that they got that many tests out and organized that much stuff in all like, and it all happened so quickly. That, that was a pretty big feat for humans to come together and work on a project like that. It wasn't bad. I mean, I mean, don't forget like, you know, they have limitless resources. So like, you know, if you had, if they gave you limitless resources, you know, I mean, I guess don't sell yourself short there. Cause I mean, having limitless resources and, and the legal authority of the government also like, you know, it's like a superpower, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's also I mean, like a noose, though, because like, have you ever seen people like younger entrepreneurs that get a bunch of cash and they try to throw it against the wall at engineers to build something and like it comes out as garbage because you had too much resources like you can you can hang yourself with too much resources, not knowing how to allocate them. Right. You definitely can. That's definitely true. And, you know, like just the, you know, the investor community, like, you know, this event has like, you know, this pendulum has swung back like everyone was like top line growth top line growth top line growth and now everyone's like you know what's your path to profitability right so um you know i've got friends at startups who were like super lean and had like good modest growth like 60 70 percent year over year growth but you know not like these exponential you know 200 300 percent you know double double triple triple and so like you know they weren't getting attention and like you know now they're getting a lot of attention in the matter of like, uh, you know, two months or so. Right. So like definitely it's also changed like what the investor community is prioritizing. Um, so yeah. They also that, seem to be doubling down back on their portfolio companies, trying to get them to survive. Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, that's definitely a, a, a real thing. And, you know, I think we all, all, all startups are trying to like learn, you know, learn what we can learn from this and come come away stronger and you know 
it's definitely like, you know, you're seeing a lot of furloughs, a lot of layoffs. So of, of companies that are good companies or like good products, like, you know, and you're like, I wow, I didn't, you wouldn't think like, oh man, that, that happened to them. Like, you know, so it's getting everyone, you know, it's like my point, like it doesn't matter like how great of a product or company you think they are. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's touching a lot of, you know, a lot of entities. Um, and so, I mean, it, it, it's something that hopefully we can just look back on and say, well, it made us better, but it was, you know, it's definitely tough. It's like anything, right? Like building muscle or dieting, yeah, anything. Yeah. It's painful, but you get like, it'll, you'll come out stronger. Yeah. Yeah. My hardest thing, uh, as we start to wrap up here, like mm -hmm. one, one of my hardest things, you know, a couple of weeks ago before I had to do the, the furloughs, uh, yeah. I was talking with this guy, you know, guest on the podcast, Larry, I was talking to him about like, you know, this being a tough moment. And then in towards like the middle of the interview, I was like, Hey, we're going to cut the interview. Cause like this guy was just really, really sharp, right. As a business person, very experienced. And I just said, Hey, uh, I need to run these numbers by you and get a perspective from someone uh -huh. who has no dog in the race. Right. Yeah. And so I shared some personal details about the company and things like that and finances. And, uh, he came back to me and he shared a couple principles with me, but the thing that really stuck with me is he said, you know, as an executive, as a you know, co-founder, founder of the company, he goes, mm -hmm. you have a, like a single primary goal, uh, mm -hmm. at like at your root. And he goes, that is can, continuing the company, mm -hmm. making sure the company continues. He goes, you can use that as like a base decision, like to make hard decisions, you need solid principles, foundational things to rely on. And at the end of the day, this is something that happened to us and we'll have to respond to it and we have to make sure that we make it through it. And then we, and we have to be able to build a healthy company so that as the market rebounds, we can share the culture and bring on even more people. And that's honestly, it's the most difficult thing, difficult thing to do. It's very hard. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, by your very nature, like you are probably an optimist and you're probably holding out hope that the right kind of, you know, exogenous strategic things will you know happen for you you know in this cycle so that you you don't have to do that but it's it's a roll of the dice where like you know the upside is you make it through you know maybe a little bit better than others the downside is you lose your company right and they're you know so like with, with that in mind like you know but hope's not but, a strategy no so that's what i'm saying it's that's not, when i right? have to fly by my you know i i was i think i use the analogy i usually fly by my vision right but right. the window's foggy and it's chaos outside and there's smoke everywhere. So now I have to fly by my instruments. And then it, it becomes, you know, he also said something else. He goes, you know, when, you, when you're flying by your instruments, you know, it becomes really clear. He goes, usually the hardest times are the easiest because there's only one path. There's just mm -hmm. what you have to do, whether you like it or not. It's indifferent, no, but like, totally. yeah. Totally. I mean, and, you know, the, like, uh, do you have a partner or anything like that or you know were you so i actually through this someone who got furloughed at another company reached out mm -hmm. to me and ended up uh becoming a partner of the business yeah and then you do you guys make that decision together or was it like you you made it by yourself well i mean i made it with him like i i saw him i i saw the circumstances we had the interest we got to know each other and then i was like look you need to like, come on, I want to do this with you. And, and cause he had complimentary skill set. 
Like, was that, did he come on before you had to make this, you know, like the furloughing decision around, you know, your, your team? Oh, uh, yeah. Like that, as we were doing it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes it makes it easier. Sometimes it makes it harder. Right. When you have another person that you need to make the decision. Oh, I definitely dealt with this. He came like, he came on like the day, the day I didn't get to strategize this fully with him. Uh, but yeah, so it was your decision. Basically. Oh, so yeah, hard, yeah. Hard. I mean, but the nice thing is, it you know, it's your decision, right? So that's the good and the bad, you know, having majority control of the company, we have we have, uh, you know, investors and stuff. And, uh, but I still, you know, have control of the company. And so it's ultimately my decision. And it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's there. It's, it's, but you know what, at the same time, I didn't sign, I didn't pursue this life because uh, I'm weak. I pursued this life because I want to do great things. And if you're going to do great things, you're going to get some, some cuts and bruises on you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's no, no two ways about it. I mean, and like, you know, you start to think like, okay, well, if, if this all doesn't work out, like what, what are you going to do? And like, you know, I still think like, oh, I'd probably think of something and like start something else. But I mean, like, yeah, it's just a crazy time where like, you know, I haven't asked myself that question. Like if this does like, you know, you don't think about that stuff usually. Right. And like all of a sudden you're like, man, who knows what's going on? Like, well, let, let me, let me share this with you though, Nima, the, the amount that you, that you've grown, right. Or that we grow as individuals being entrepreneurs and doing these difficult things is so exponential. It, what you're doing is you're just massively increasing what your value in the marketplace is. Right. And so what, what can happen is the, the businesses can. Yeah. As an individual, you're saying. Yeah. As an individual, businesses can be taken away uh, through anything, through pandemics, lawsuits, whatever uh, money can be taken away from you as an individual. But what can't be taken away is your experience and, and who you are. And so that is, is the thing that, you know, you're always building. That's very true. And that is a really good point. And, you know, I have thought that, but yeah, like it's a good reminder. I mean, it's definitely, you know, a unique experience. Like, like we were talking about before, it's a set of inputs and training that is going to help you in other decisions. Like, and you don't know how your brain is going to do it, but it's going to do it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very unique training that not everyone, you know, gets. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, we should, you know, talk again in like, you know, six months or nine months. And like Absolutely. See how, see how we're doing. Yeah. Um, it's like we were playing a game and someone flipped the board over. It's like, what? I was doing everything right. I was playing with the right strategies. Yeah. I had everything going, you know, and someone just came in and flipped the board. And so now it's like, all right, let's just figure out, let's rebuild the game and keep playing, you know, like, let's just go again. Or like you're going again, but like you're going to be building with the sense that like the board can be flipped at any moment. Yeah. Right? Yes. So you know, that'll, that'll be a really good lesson for all of us. And like, that'll make better companies for sure. Because like, everyone's going to have this, like kind of like the, the, you know, the, the, I don't know, the, the toughness or whatever, like that you got out of 0809, like everyone's going to have this kind of like, you know, built in, you know, paranoia, you know, resilience, or, you know, uh, kind of just, uh, expert like thinking around like exogenous events or just you know just they're going to think differently about how they're, they're like they're building these companies and like what they're 
going to be able to survive and how that affects like their ultimate products and stuff is going to be really interesting. Um, yeah. And, I, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not naturally an optimist. Uh, a lot of people think I am because they hear the podcast and I tend to be pretty high energy and positive, but uh, I'm naturally a pessimist. And what happened to me, and I'm also, I was naturally like a contrarian too, but what happened to me was, uh, well, for the contrarian part, I needed to interact with people and I found out that people hate contrarians. So <laughs> just, right. But for the pessimist part, I got older and then I valued logic so much from engineering and I came to this, this like epiphany through a couple of life experiences that the most logical thing I can do is have an optimistic state with a real, like, and use realism to, as a baseline. Like, let's, let's be aware of pessimism. Let's can get myself into an optimistic state and then let's spend time planning and, and dealing with, you know, realism. Like, real, real big picture, right? Like, you know, when you're pessimistic, you're not enjoying life and you have a finite sec, you know, amount of heartbeats on, on this earth. So like, you know, it, it doesn't ser serve you really any purpose as it relates to like life enjoyment to be negative, right? It's like, you know, if you're super rich, but still a negative person, like, you know, are you really enjoying your life as much as someone that's just maybe moderately or just average and, you know, knows how to, you know, be happy, right? Like, you know, like that that's something I like my, my wife always tells me like you know like are you depressed I'm like no I'm not depressed I'm just like thinking through all these things and like you know like you know you're spending all this time like working and like you know being stressed and like you know you're, you're gonna wake up and like you know it's gonna be over like you have to like you know enjoy your life now right like I think that's one thing with like entrepreneurs I see or I do it is like you put off enjoyment right of your life at all costs right like I'll, when when this is all over i'm going to enjoy my life right and for right now i'm going to do whatever it takes and you know stress out and all this stuff and like you know like this stuff doesn't follow your timeline right and so like you know it's going to take longer or maybe shorter but usually longer than you ever expected so like you, you got to find a way to be like you know happy right now right so i'm not, yeah. but not all that but like that that's something i've always thought i've been thinking about in the past you know, couple of years me too because when i did my first startups i went all in to the point where i was like my immune system was shot down i wasn't sleeping because you can you can mentally work yourself to death in my 20s forget it i mean like yeah, yeah me too I, you know i had like a nail they failed i mean the startups failed but yeah like you know yeah i mean i was just like all in and like just totally in this like i don't care about you know anything i'm just going to work on this and you know and now i look back on all like the time i spent on those things and like you like th like those those code bases don't exist anymore those companies don't exist anymore those users don't exist anymore and nobody cares right and like you know that was your year 25 26 27 you're like like some critical years that you know you spent like you know just on that that doesn't even exist anymore but to well other, invested though because, yeah i mean look you know you, you get you get all the, you know, that kind of, you know, personal, you know, asset building that you're talking about. Right. So that, well, that's you also think about it like this. I've seen people or like read stories or books and watch people do interviews. I could, you know, you get a sense for someone. I've seen people that don't figure this out until they've done it until they're 60. And then they look around and they don't have the time to spend an hour a day with their family because they didn't build a family or, or do anything or they don't have a time to do an hour a day, but we realized it earlier on. So I think like, that's a great 
like I'm really grateful for for making those mistakes early on. And you can't be, uh, you know, old and wise without being young and stupid. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's totally true. Totally true. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, definitely something that, I mean, I would have loved to have had, like, you know, you hear these other stories about folks that, like, you know, started and, like, two years later, they're done. And, like, you know, they, they've made, you know, tremendous, some, some windfall, right? And you're like, damn, like, and, like, you know, you look back on all the other things that you've done, like, for two years or three years or, like, you know, I've been doing Connecticut, like, almost 10 years, right? So it's like, you know, it would be would be great to have that kind of like fast win, but like, you know, also, you know, you don't get all that kind of internal toughness and you know. there's no fast wins any and and if there's a faster win, you usually gave up an incredible amount of everything. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting human experience. And I wonder how like, you know, in a hundred years or a thousand years if like people will view like, you know, this generation of entrepreneurs and like what this was like and you know in like the kind of longer term context but i think it'll be like an explosion of entrepreneurial activity um i think they'll see it like maybe a little bit like that yeah i mean i think ultimately it's a good thing i mean it, it's people wanting to you know do i mean like you know you it, what it means is like you think you have something to contribute that is unique and like you know it's, I mean, the reason why I like to do it is like, like, I just don't really like having someone to answer to, you know, like that. that's one of my main, like back in the day, that's like, you know. Me too. That was a driving force for me too. But then I realized I have to answer to all my customers <laughs> and my and team. Yeah. yeah. Like, so like, yeah, you realize like, well, that's not really true, right? Like you're, you're actually, like if you're, you know, founder, like you're answering to more people, you're answering to the investors, your, your folks that are on your team. You know, your your customers right like you know so I mean, you're never really free of that but yeah i mean it, it is definitely something that builds up character it does have its benefits though right like it's difficult and there's good reward for doing the difficult thing and there's equal amount of like life seems very balanced in that way like there's definitely it's really really difficult but there's also a, a great reward and i listen to this navy seal guy and he says uh -huh. um like if you do what is easy what's, what's or life uh jocko i think it's yeah. jocko yeah he's got good ones what's the one no one cares work harder i like that yeah one. no one cares work harder yeah but discipline man that's a rare thing and it's difficult yeah yeah it is and like you know sometimes i, I feel like i'm slipping and then you know I, I have hot streaks and cold streaks you know like but you know when i'm down on myself my wife is like you know like you know i'm like i'm not working hard enough and she's like you know you're, you're crazy like you know if this is what you think is not working hard enough like you know that's like that's hard hard you know you're working harder than any person i know right now and it's like yeah this is i mean I, i'm sure it's not true to that extent but yeah like you know i think just generally like we are kind of maybe too hard on ourselves sometimes and sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it's a bad thing right so i mean even that is like you know everything is like you know, you gotta walk walk that fine line because it's a gift and a curse type thing. Do you, Do you have older, um, older entrepreneurs that aren't invested in your company that you talk with? Um. Yeah. Um. But I mean, they're not. Uh. They're not like a lot older. Um. But yeah, I have a few friends that like have their own companies, and you know, 
they're in different spaces. You have people that are like old enough to like not be your friend to like what I found that's useful for me. Cause I mean, um, I get to do the show. I get to talk to a lot of people, but diving like really deep in with someone uh, like off podcast, things like that. I found a lot of help in uh, finding a person or two who I really like, who I admire, who I found is like a happy individual. Like they have a, they have a life that's balanced where they're working hard, they're doing great work, but they also are happy. And they kind of met my mix for a vision I have for my life. And what mm -hmm. I do is I put a recurring event in my calendar, like once every three months to reach out and talk to them. And mm -hmm. I just spill everything. Like mm -hmm. I just say the stuff that you don't ever want to say um, mm -hmm. and, and talk with them. And what they do is they come back with just some like, amazingly insightful things and that uh that venting strategy for me is really useful and i i never ask them like will you be my mentor no i just find people and say hey i'm going through some some entrepreneurial stuff and you know you're 55 and you've seen everything uh mm -hmm. you know can, can we have a quick chat and they're they know it they get it because dude they're just me and you but more advanced and so they like if we're 55 and we get a 30 year old, 30 something year old version of us that calls us up, we already, we've already done it. There's nothing they could tell us that's, that's going to shock us. And then we can provide some higher level insights similar to how, if you were mentoring a, a newer engineer, right, we've already made those mistakes. And so we're okay. Like, who cares? Don't be shy about your mistakes. You know, we have to remember that, you know, we can look up to and pull up in the chain. And I found that man, that is, that has helped me so much. I don't have that. I'm going to look for that. Get that. Yeah. Listen to the podcast and see if you, if you resonate with anybody, uh, like search through some of the past episodes or find someone local. But if I'll, I'll make an introduction. If, if you, if you find someone from the podcast you like, and you want to talk to, I'll make an introduction personally. And then if you just find them in your life, just keep in the loop with me and let me know. It's a really nice offer. I appreciate it. I mean, you know, uh, let's keep in touch. I mean, I, I you know, obviously it's the first time we've ever talked, but yeah, know, um, I'm definitely going to subscribe and, and listen to it because like, you know, one of the bad things I have is like when I do have free time, I don't want to like listen to anything about read or listen to anything about like work. Right. You know, like obviously there's the part around like, you know, reading to like stay current and all that, which I do every day. But like, you know, I need to like break that habit. Cause it's like, you know, like I don't even watch like, so like when Silicon Valley was popular, like I'm like, I don't want to watch that. Cause like it reminds me too much of my life. Right. And like, you know, I think like there's definitely a lot of value to like hearing other people go through the same thing. And well, do you and have not... a do you have a side hobby that you do? No, like this, you know, I got to build that. I got to build up my whole like you know outside of work life. I got a real you know, balance problem there. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna get there. I think eventually. Don't but, let I mean, anyone I... tell you what the ratio is for you. But at the same time, me personally, my ratio is like eighty percent work. Right. That's just I tend to be happy working doing doing a lot of technology yeah, I'm, I'm just work and family basically right and maybe it's probably 80 20 same thing right so like you know there's not much room for anything else but if you get if, if you if you take a little bit away here here's here's something i know to be true and it it took me it was a long lesson for me to figure out and i ignored the first many times i've heard this i took uh like if we were to say 80 20 i took if you take 10 15 percent away from work right and put that on something like i don't know a habit of photography or maybe like learning to play a guitar or going for whatever it is whatever your little thing is that you get into and you buy some stuff in that area you know whether it's like running you buy workout clothes whatever it is get into that little thing 
that will multiply the remaining, you know, 75%. But you know what like is the best fun part of something like the, the thing I really like to do is like, just like think of a new idea and like think and learn something new and like start to build. Like I like, especially when it's like the part where there's no consequences and you're just like prototyping and playing around and like you do end up with something. And it, it, even that has a multiplier effect on, you know, your kind of your, your day job, so to speak. But like, you know, yeah, I need to find something outside. But of think of that. Here's a visualization. Cause I did that too, because you know, I've been writing code for 17 years right. and, and here, so here's a visualization that helped me. Imagine that that's like a muscle that like programming engineering is a muscle and like we have different muscles all over our body. If you do that for your extracurricular activity, you're going to keep straining that muscle. You need to work a different muscle. We'll find right. a different part of your brain to activate. Totally right. I mean, I got to. Got to um, let it rest. I'm going to listen to this podcast. You, you may be a believer. I didn't, well, I didn't know about it before, but, you know, like, it, and, I, and I also have, like, you know, this, you know, I think I need to realize, like, I need to listen to other people that are going through the same thing. Right? Yes. I think it's beneficial. Um, but yeah, let's keep in touch, man. I mean, absolutely. At least we can like see where we end up through this. For sure. And then if anyone pops in my mind over the next couple of weeks too, I'll make an introduction as well, but yeah. uh, definitely find someone to talk to, to hang out and talk with just, even if they own a business in like a different market, like, you know, it works. Like, you know, you have friends in your age group, but like, you know, I think the having the older person, yeah, that's unique. And like, you know, an older person is not invested in, in your company, right? So like, yeah, that's something I'm going to look for. Dude, this is an absolute pleasure. Let's stay in touch and uh, keep keep growing the relationship more than just one interview, okay? Because I really like you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, whenever you want to have me on again, please just let me know. I'd love to be on. All right, buddy. I'll talk with you soon. You have a great day. You too. Talk to you yeah. soon. Bye. See you.